Turn to your Bible, Acts 27, 29. The book of Acts, chapter 27, verse 29. And uh, this is one of those times that the pastor couldn't decide on a text, so I'm giving you two. Uh, also Hebrews 6, 19. And we're going to tr- attempt to tie those two thoughts together tonight. If you will help me preach. Amen. You know, uh, I will tell you this. I don't know that my preaching's ever good, but it is better the more you back it. I feel better about it, and you feel better about it. Amen. Amen. So let's practice. Say amen. amen. In fact, every time I wink my eye, you say amen. You better hope I don't get a nap stuck in my eye. You'll be out of breath before the evening over. Amen. Acts 27, 29, and Hebrews 6, 19. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon the rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. Hebrews 6, 19. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. I want to speak to us tonight on the subject, anchor points. Anchor points. Let's pray. Father, we need you now. God, Lord, the one of the greatest sins that we could commit at this moment, Lord, that I could, would be to rely upon myself. Lord, set us free from that. Help us to rely on you and help us to hear from you. Dear God, give us a sense of anticipation, of leaning into to hear what the Spirit would say to the church and to my heart. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Give the Lord another hand of praise while I get some get some water. Amen. You know, it was not uncommon in the ancient world for the anchor to be seen and utilized as a symbol for hope. In fact, some of the Greek philosophers used that. It wasn't just preachers. Epictetus uh, said a ship should never depend on one anchor or a life on one hope. Pythagoras, and I had asked my wife about this because it sounded familiar to me. I knew there was a Pythagorean theorem out there, but I had no idea what it was or what it meant. Has something to do, she explained it to me, I still don't know. Has something to do with triangles or something like that, I don't know. But he's the one that this is named, that the Pythagorean theorem is named after. He was not only a philosopher, he was a mathematician. He also, uh, for those of you that are musical, also came up with the Pythagorean tuning of musical instruments and a lot of other things. They say he was the first man to call himself a philosopher. So he's the first of the philosophers, and that means a lover of wisdom. Here's what he said about anchor. He said, wealth is a weak anchor. Fame is still weaker. What then are the anchors which are strong? Wisdom, great-heartedness, courage, these are the anchors which no storm can shake. But the writer of Hebrews did better than either one of those philosophers. He said, we have hope as an anchor of the soul, a hope that is sure and steadfast because it is not anchored in earth, it is anchored in heaven beyond the veil. The Apostle Paul went through a season where he had been arrested and was being transported 
uh, by ship uh, because of his appeal to Caesar to Rome. And it was interesting because he, his desire was to go and preach the gospel in Rome and the Lord worked it out where it was at the expense of the Roman government. His room and board was at the expense of the Roman government. And so when he got on that journey, he warned because he knew uh, by the Spirit that he should not, they should not go at that time because of the weather. But the captain believed the owners of the ship more than he believed Paul. And so they got out and that big wind, that storm, uh, hurricane force wind came through called Eurocladon and and it drove the ship so that they were in the middle of a typhoon or a hurricane. And in the middle of that, they did some things like they cast out some things that were loaded down the ship. They used the ropes to undergird the ship. But in all of that, they cast out four anchors. And after they cast out those four anchors, they just sat around and wished for daylight. Or some people say they prayed for day. They waited through a stormy night until day could come. Now, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, tradition says it was the Apostle Paul. And who am I to buck tradition? I, I, I too, tend to, to uh, think that it was the Apostle Paul. If it was the Apostle Paul, I wonder if when he wrote Hebrews 6, 19 about hope being an anchor for the show, soul, if he thought back to that stormy night at sea where they cast out those four anchors. Well, I'm talking about anchor points tonight, and I have believed that there are four anchor points that the writer of Hebrews gives us in Hebrews 6, 11 through uh, um, uh, the end of the chapter. And, and that is, he, uh, verse 20, I think it is, rather. He says that, that uh, in Hebrews 6, 11, uh, 12 through 17, he talks about this anchor point confirmation confirmation verse 11 says and we desire that each one of you should know the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end that you do not become sluggish but imitate those things uh, those who through faith and patience inherited the promises for when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater he swore by himself saying, surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, that's Abraham, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. Now this word immutability or, or immutable is a great word. In English, the word immutable means something that is unchanging over time or unable to be changed. It's going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's immutable, it's unmovable, it's unchangeable. Now, the Greek word is actually the word a metathetos, a metathetos. Now, thetos comes from the word that means uh, something that is set in place. Now, how many of you, when you go home tonight and kick off your Sunday shoes, 
are going to just kick them off wherever they fall, and maybe later on you'll tend to them. Anybody, my wife said yes, I'm glad she's, yes, yes. How many, come on, I see somebody nod you. How many just going to kick them off wherever they land? Come on. You, would, you got a sloppy one here, right? All right. How many of you, when you go home, you're going to take off your shoes and you're going to take them to the exact spot, the exact place in your closet where they belong? How many? Now, let me ask you this. How many of you, if somebody rearranged your closet, okay, and put your shoes where another pair of shoes is supposed to go, could not rest till you moved them back to the exact spot where they go. How many of you that way? Y'all need help. I'm going to tell you. Y'all need, y'all need Jesus. I'm telling you. So that's, that's uh, that old saying. And I do, th- listen, even though I'm not always this way, I do recognize the importance and the ease that it brings to life to have everything in its place and a place for everything. I do recognize the correctness of that. It just comes easier for some people than it does others. But I do recognize that. But that's what that word thetos means. It means putting something in a place, setting something down, putting it in place. Now when you add to that the word meta, metathetos, Meta is a word, if we talk about something that is metaphysical, it is beyond uh, the physical. It means beyond or around. In fact, the word, we use it to mean uh, uh, repentance, metanoia, which means to turn your mind around. And so it's around or it's beyond. And so it's, it means when something is metatheto, it means it may have been set down in this place but it has been transported or uh, transferred. It has been moved out of this place over to that place. It's not where it was. It's not what it was. It has been changed. Now, when you put in front of that the prefix ah, ah always cancels out a Greek word. So when you say something is something that's been taken out of place, when you say it's a metathetos, you mean it can't be taken out of its place. It has not been taken out of its place. It has not changed, and it gives us what we use in English, the word immutable. It does not change over time. How many are glad that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Did you know that there's not even any shadow of turning with him? There's no variableness with him. He's the same every time you see. Now, I'm going to tell you something about your pastor if you don't know this. I I have faults. Please don't list them, but I have faults. I know that I have faults. But I will tell you this. I got the same faults that I had 30 years ago. I may not be right, but I'm consistent. Amen. And I try to be, and I hope I am, I hope I'm the same person every time you see me. I hope I'm the same person at the White House as I am at Walmart. Doesn't mean I'll dress the same, doesn't mean I'll act the same, but it does mean that that who I am doesn't adjust. Listen to me. My values don't change when I'm on vacation. The way I live my life doesn't change when I'm around a different kind of crowd, right? So there's not that variable. Don't you appreciate people? 
Have you ever been around people that when they were, were, saw you in town, they were happy to see you, but if they were around a certain class of people, they'd act like they didn't know you. Anybody been around those kinds of people? We call them what? Two-faced, right? Because you don't ever know what you're going to get. How many have been around people that one time you see them, they're as happy as a lark. The next time you see them, they're down in the dumps, Right? Or you're around people that one time you see them, they're glad to see you hit you on the back. The next time you see them, you talk to them and they walk by with their nose in the air. Right? Some people are an emotional hurricane. And we don't like to be around those people. But I'm going to tell you, God is God all the time. He's always the same. And not because His Word is based on His character and it's an outgrowth of His character and it is representative of His character. And out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaketh. Out of the abundance of who God is, He proclaims His Word. That means that since God is unchanging, it also means that the Word of God is unchanging. In other words, he always is what he is and he'll always do what he said he'll do. And that means that if if mama could believe it, I can believe it. If granny could believe it, I can believe it. If great grandma could believe it, I can believe it. If the apostles believed it, I believed it. If it was given to Abraham, if he promised, he that promised is faithful. He has not transferred. He has not transported. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that confirmation is secure. Now, here's what it says. That not only did he give his promise... But he swore an oath. Well, I was always taught, and it, it's, it's, it's still kind of a shock to me sometimes, and maybe you do, maybe you wasn't taught the way I was, but I was raised, and it was a very important thing, not only in our home, but in our church. I was raised that you don't use the term, I swear. Because the Bible says, swear not at all. Don't even swear by heaven, because that's, God's throne room. Don't swear by the earth because that's God's footstool. Don't even swear by your hair on your own head because you don't have control over it to make it white or black. Now, Grecian formula will help and just for men will do something for you, but we're talking about at the root. <laughs> so I, I, I've never utilized even as a a, a a phrase, a slang, I've never utilized, well, I swear. I don't use that. And I was taught when you go to court and they ask you to swear on the Bible, I was taught you don't say, I swear. You say, I affirm. Right? That's the way I was taught. But for those that do swear, you always swear by something or someone that's greater than you are. That's what gives an oath its power. In other words, one of the reasons the Bible tells us not to swear is because we shouldn't need to. We shouldn't have to give our oath as a bond because our words themselves ought to be so weighty that our yes is yes and our no is no and we don't have to say, oh, you know, uh, I'm... <laughs> it's like... My, my nephew, Josh, who's grown and got a family of his own, but when he was about 10, 12 years old, he and his cousin Matt were out behind my dad's barn at his property, and they come running in wild, wide-eyed, 
and, and, and they were just excited and Josh talks fast anyway and he, he talked real fast when he gets excited and, and he said, Papa, Papa, uh, 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 we, 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 we saw a man back there in them woods and, and he said, Papa, I've lied before but I'm telling you the truth this time. We saw, we saw a man out there. Well, you shouldn't, you should not, your words should not be so loose that people, that you have to say, I, I swear, I affirm, I promise, right? It, it, us preachers get into a thing sometime where we really compromise ourselves because we say, can I be honest with you? And people think, well, what have you been being so far? But when God swears, where can he find anybody greater than himself to swear by. That's why it's okay for God to swear. Because he's the only one that has the right to. Because he's the owner of everything, the creator of everything, and he is self-contained God. So he said that not only did he give his promise to Abraham, he's confirmed it doubly with an oath. He swore by himself that in blessing I will bless you and multiplying I would multiply you. And that's why verse 18, and, and I'm glad I studied this today because I've always tried to figure verse 18 out. Because verse 18 says that by two immutable, unchangeable, immovable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. And I've always read that scripture and, I, and I've always just seen one thing. I thought, what are the two things? It says, because of these two things, it's impossible for God to lie, and then it never gives us the second thing. And that's because the writer of Hebrews is not telling you, I'm fixing to give you two things. He's saying, I'm telling you because of these two things I've already told you about, it's impossible for God to lie. What are the two things? God gave his promise, and then he confirmed it again with his oath. That God's, God's very word on the subject is immutable, unchangeable, and reliable. And God doubled it by saying he gave his oath which is immutable, unchangeable, and reliable. You say, well, why the need to do both? Because I met Crystal in uh, November of 1993. Poor little girl out in Texas praying for God to send her somebody to show her the way, met me a week later. And then I came back home, and she followed me. I know y'all look at me fat now, and I don't, I, I don't understand it. I got stuff growing all over my face. I don't, I don't know what's happened to me. And my nose keeps expanding. I know that don't look like much now, but I'm going to tell you, in the day, I had them flying out from Texas, driving up from Florida, driving down from Tennessee. Am I telling the truth, Daddy? Now, some of them wasn't that. <laughs> some of them wasn't keepers. But Crystal came out and visited with us. Uh, over the Christmas holidays and then she went back home and we both felt like there was something special and so I was going to uh, fly out 
and be with her family in February, and that didn't work out, so she came back. I, I paid for half the ticket, I think. Uh, <laughs> but I made up for it when we went out. I paid for half the meals when we went out. <laughs> well, you got to keep her up. <laughs> Start out like you can hold out. Aaron, where you at, son? Where you at, Aaron? Start out like you can hold out. Um, but anyway, all, all foolishness aside. But in February, I asked her to marry me. And uh, she was really reluctant. And she almost didn't even come out on that February trip because she had, uh, I had negative propaganda against me out there with her with, with, with her family and all that. Are you sure you want to? I mean, she's a little Baptist girl. She's married a Pentecostal. Her daddy said, you, you ain't never going, you're going to have to wear your hair long. You ain't never going to be able to wear makeup again. You got to throw your jewelry away. Forget about them cargo shorts you're wearing. They're out the door. I mean, you know, and that had been what his exposure had been. So he, he wasn't fake it up. That's what his exposure had been. But, uh, I said, if you, I'd al I already bought the ring. I mean, listen, it was a full uh, eighth of a carat. Uh, <laughs> and I had already, and, and I said, if you care anything about me, come on, come on out. And she came out and I asked her to marry me, but what was a big sticking point is she said, I want, I, I, I want to finish school. And I said, baby, if you'll just marry me, I will guarantee you that I will help you finish school. Now, I was thinking associate's degree, maybe bachelor's degree. She saw a sucker coming a mile away. She milked that. It was 22 years later that she graduated with her doctorate. And worth every penny of it. But when I asked her to marry me, I made some promises to her. And when she said yes, we were engaged and we were promised to each other. But we were not married. We were married when we entered into covenant. And I reaffirmed the promises that I made to her in their in engagement, I reaffirmed them when we became one flesh in covenant between ourselves and God. So God reaffirms to Abraham, He doesn't just give him his promise, He gives him his covenant. He gives him his oath. And since he can't swear by anything greater, he swears by himself. So those two immutable things, the word of God and God Himself. Those two things that are unchangeable, those two things that are untransferable, those things that don't change over time are the reason that we can trust God. That is the confirmation that, that we have in life. One of our anchor points in life is the fact that we have the confirmation that God is who He said He is and He will do what He said He will do. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't settle that in your own heart and mind, then you're going to have a terrible time in life 
and you're going to have a very rocky road in Christian. And every time that sickness comes up, every time that trouble comes up, every time that heartbreak comes up, you're going to say, why doesn't God love me? Why doesn't God care for me? Why, aren't th- why, why are the promises not coming true? You're, you're going to be on an emotional roller coaster in your relationship with the Lord. If you don't settle it and, da- and, and make sure the die is cast and say, God gave me his word, and regardless of what things and circumstances may be, I believe God because his word is true and unchangeable. His promises are true and unchangeable because he is true and unchangeable. And that's an anchor point for the soul, the confirmation we have in God's word. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. But the Bible says because we have that confirmation, we also have, verse 18, we have a strong consolation. We have a strong consolation. And when I hear that word consolation, I think about when they used to have beauty pageants, the one that didn't win got a consolation prize. Right? That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a consolation prize because we didn't get first place. We're talking about the very thing that brings us comfort and peace and joy. Boy, I tell you, I, I get so excited sometimes. I, I wish, I wish that I could con- communicate to you and convey to you what I experience sometime when I'm studying the scripture. Because the scriptures, when you study the scripture and you dig into it and you study Uh, the original language, and you do all of that, there's such a mine of wealth that comes to you. And I know many of you are Bible students. But the word consolation is the word paraklesis. The word klesis comes from the word kaleo, and it means to call. Para means together. It, It means to be called near. Paraklesis means to be, the consolation is that we've been called near to this God that doesn't change. Right? Daddy used to tell a story. I've heard this story 50 years. I've told it 40 years. Of the, of the man that was shipwrecked on a deserted island. And in the middle of the island was this huge boulder. And a storm came while he was... Uh, stranded there, and they thought all was lost. He thought all was lost, but he just he just kind of hid himself as much as he could up against, tied up against that boulder. And when he was finally rescued, they asked him, said, you've survived a typhoon on this, uh, uh, on this uh, deserted island. Said, when that storm came, said, didn't, didn't you tremble? Didn't, didn't you waver? Didn't you fall? And he said, yes, I did, but the rock did. So our consolation is this immovable God of ours with his immovable, unchangeable promises. We, can, we have been called near to him. We have been called to take shelter under his wings. We've been called into the refuge. Here's the wonderful thing about that. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about calling. The word for church is the word ecclesia. 
This is the word para, paraclesia. The word for church is ecclesia. It means the called out ones. It was a term that was used really for city government. When they had a town meeting, a town hall meeting, if you were called out to the town hall meeting, that was, that was the ecclesia. That's the word that Jesus said for it to be used for this new creation that he, uh, that he was establishing, the church. He said, you're my ecclesia. How many is glad you've been called out of the world, called out of sin, called out of the darkness into his marvelous light? We've been called out and we've been called in. We've been called into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only have we been called out and called in, we have been called together. That's what makes us all one, is we are the called according to his purpose. He called, we answered, we're the called according to his purpose. That's who we are. And we've not only been called together, we have been called together. That's why we don't forsake the assemblings of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but all the more as we see the day approaching. So let me tell you, that when we draw near to God and we come together as the body of Christ, there is consolation that comes. There are people that are struggling in their faith because they never come to God's house. Or they're struggling in their faith because every Sunday morning they get up and decide, am I going to go today or not? I'm talking to people here tonight that are faithful. You don't, just, you don't get the driftwood on Sunday night. Now, listen, all you that come on Sunday night, you're faithful. But those that come on Wednesday night, they're going to get better seats in heaven than you do if you don't come. And those that come on Tuesday night, they're going to be on the, on the thrones. Amen. I know because I come on Tuesday night. So, but listen to me. Listen to me. Whenever Jesus had died and was buried in that Judean hillside, and the disciples were together in that room. There was one disciple that wasn't there. You know what his name was? Anybody? Thomas. And Jesus appeared to those disciples, those apostles. You know who wasn't there? Thomas. To this day, 2,000 years later, you know what we call him? Come on. Doubting Thomas. You know why he was doubting? Because he wasn't at church. If he had been with the others, he would have been where Jesus showed up and he wouldn't have had the doubt. But when he came back, they said, well, you missed it. Jesus was here. He said, I won't believe it till I put my hand in his side. Right? There are people that struggled needlessly with doubt because they're not taking advantage of the things that bring consolation. Now, this gets better now. You say, preacher, you done got stop meddling and going to preach, and thank you. This gets better. Paraclesis means to be draw, to be called near. But the word for the Holy Ghost that is comforter is the paraclete. You know what it comes from? Paraclesis. You know what it means? It means the one who has been called. To come near. That the Holy Spirit has been called 
to draw near us. It, it is a word that, that, uh, that means the advocate. Whenever somebody is on trial and they stand there before the judge, their counselor, their advocate draws near and stands by them. It is a military word that when they would go out and fight uh, in these great battles, the, the, they would fight once it got hand to hand. They would each draw their swords and have their backs to each other so that they could fend off the enemy from either side. And the person that was their partner in battle, the person that was, had drawn near to them, the person that had been called near to them, the person that had their back was their paraclete. Aren't you glad that even though we have the promises of God and we have the covenant of God that in the middle of our circumstances and situations where we begin to slip, all of a sudden all we've got to do is cry out and the precious Holy Ghost of God draws near and has our back and brings that comfort and consolation. Amen? That's an anchor point. The third anchor point is this, confidence. Continuing, he says, uh, this is the same verse, uh, verse 18. He says, that by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Confidence. That word for hope there is the word elpis, and it means confident expectation. It's not a pie in the sky. It's not a maybe so. It's not cross my fingers. and a, It's not a pipe dream. It is confident expectation. Hope in the scripture means confidence that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. That's what hope is. It, it is joined with faith. Faith, hope, and love. And, and listen to me. That confidence, that hope, first of all, it's something that we can choose to run to. Whenever the storm comes, we can run into the refuge of hope. We can make a choice. I'm going to tell you, not all of us, those are shoulder blades and not angel wings. There's not a single one of us that when we're going through trouble do not have nagging suspicions and, and nagging doubts and nagging questions. And, and sometimes even though in our minds and in our hearts we know what's true in our emotions, we, it doesn't feel like it's real. It doesn't feel like it's true. It, that, what we believe doesn't seem to match up with what we know to be true. But in those moments, we can make a decision, I'm running into the refuge of hope. I'm not going to allow myself to go down into the, into the molass of, of, uh, of despair. I'm running to hope. And then he says, not only do we run to it as a refuge, but we lay hold on to it. I'm going to tell you that sometimes when you're going down for the count, you've got to grab hold of the rope. 
When you are, are going down the third time in the problems of life, there's a life preserver that's been thrown to you that's called the hope, the confidence that we have in God. Reach out and grab hold of the rope and hold on, white-knuckled, bare-fisted, hold on to the hope that you've got in God. And I'm gonna tell you, you watch Fox News, you're not gonna have a whole lot of hope. You see what's going on in the world, you're gonna be in despair. But if you can get into what God's word and says his promises are true and I'm not sinking in despair, but I'm standing on the promises and I've grabbed hold of the hope that I have, the confident expectation that I have in Jesus. I think somebody ought to give him a hand clap of praise. And then he says, verse 19, that that hope we have is an anchor for the soul. Now remember, what we're dealing with is the immutability of God and the immutability of his promises. That they're rock solid. And he said the hope that we have in God and in his promises are like an anchor that hooks in to that that does not change. See, an anchor's not any good to your ship if it's in sand and it doesn't have anything to hook to. It might slow down the drag, but it's not gonna steady your ship. The rock, the anchor's only good when it gets a hold of something that doesn't move. And you know what? When a ship is anchored, the ship still moves a little bit. It still waffles a little bit. It rocks on the waves. Sometimes it'll drift over here. Sometimes it'll drift over there. Sometimes it, it, it'll go, go a little further. Sometimes it'll come a little closer to the anchor point, but it doesn't get too far because it's anchored. And you and I know in our lives that sometimes we get a little distance. Sometimes we drift over here into despair. Sometimes we drift over here into rebellion. But if we are anchored, if our hope is in the unmovable, unchangeable rock of God and his word, the anchor will hold in spite of the storm. Amen. Aren't you glad of that? I think I'm having a better time preaching than you are listening to me, but that's all right. Hebrews 6, 19, we have a hope, an anchor of the soul. It's both sure and steadfast. Lars Tuning said 1992 was the worst year of his life. It's what he and his wife called our year of sorrows. His father died that year. He and his wife were facing health problems themselves. He was burned out from 19 years of pastoral ministry. The church that he had helped plant was in the beginning stages of going through a major split, a devastating split. No doubt because of some of these things, he was going through a period of reevaluating his own ministry and calling. He said, I was weary and I was discouraged. And in the middle of all that, his wife experienced her third miscarriage. And the baby was far enough along that they were able to hold that little stillborn miscarried child and grieve and say goodbye. They, 
They seem to feel that the best years of their life were behind them. He was given a six-month sabbatical from pastoring his church. He said during that time that he and his wife grieved and they prayed. And he said because he had the time, he started doing something that he used to do a lot of and bless him. He, he started just for hours sitting behind the piano, playing the piano, singing, just spending time with him and God for hours at the time. And he said that it was during this time of sadness and uncertainty that the Holy Spirit gave him a song. The anchor holds, though the ship is battered. He wrote those words, the anchor holds, though the sails are torn. I've fallen on my knees as I face the raging seas. But the anchor holds, praise God, in spite of the storm. I've been young and I'm older now and there's been beauty my eyes have seen. But it was in the storm. It was in those dark times of my life. That's when God proved his love for me. I've had visions I've had dreams and I've held them in my hand and nobody ever told me those dreams would slip right through like they were only grains of sand. But, Lawrence Tuning said, the anchor holds in spite of the storm. I may be talking to some people that's got some tattered sails. I may be talking to some people that are battered ships. But I'm going to tell you as long, praise God, as long as the anchor holds. The last anchor point is continuation. All of this is based not only on the unchangingness of Christ, but on the eternalness of Christ. He's the same yesterday. He's the same today, but he'll be the same tomorrow, and he'll be the same forever. That's why 619 says that that anchor that we have that's steadfast and sure is that which enters the presence of God beyond the veil, just like the high priest went in once a year behind the veil into the Holy of Holies. Christ our high priest has entered behind the veil of space and time into the Holy of Holies in heaven. And verse 20 says where, where the forerunner, Jesus, has entered for us, where the forerunner has entered even for us, even Jesus. Barclay says that's the Greek word prodromos, and it has three meanings. It means, a forerunner means one that rushes ahead and gets there first. You remember how Peter and John were running to the empty tomb and John got there first. And he stopped at the door and then Peter, like the tortoise and the hare, Peter got there late, but he didn't stop at the door. He ran right in. 
And Jesus, who's the risen Son of God, is the first of many brethren. He's got there first, but he's where we're headed. It not only means the one that gets there first, it means the one that is the pioneer. The one that goes where others could not go. The high priest could go into the Holy of Holies in earth. They could go in. They could go once a year to make propitiation for their sins and the sins of, the, of, of Israel. But it also means, this forerunner means the scout that goes ahead to see that it's safe for the troops to follow. Jesus went into the presence of God to make it safe for us to go. You don't believe me? In Hebrews 4, 14 and 16 says this, Seeing then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, uh, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and help in the time of need. Why? Because Jesus is there beyond the veil. I won't read it to you for the sake of time, or Hebrews chapter 7 can, picks up this thought and says, Jesus is not like Aaron and his descendants. He's like Melchizedek. He has an eternal priesthood. He's got a better covenant. He's got one that, the ones down here, verse 7, chapter 23, the priests down here, there were many of them because they kept dying. But verse 24 says, but Jesus continues forever, an unchangeable priesthood. And because he never changes and because he's eternal, verse 25 says, he's able to save us to the uttermost because he ever liveth to make intercession for us. What I'm telling you is even down here, we've got, We've got the confirmation of God's Word as an anchor point. We've got the consolation of God's Spirit as an anchor point. And, and we have uh, not only His confirmation and His consolation, uh, we have His comfort and we have the confidence in His Word. But listen to me. That last anchor point is not like the first three. That last anchor point is beyond the veil. It's no wonder that we sing. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every dark and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. The reason that we have a hope steadfast and sure is because it's not anchored in the changing things of this world. It's anchored in heaven with our unchanging and eternal Lord. There's a man who took his, uh, his son fishing just off the coast of Florida. And when they got about 25 miles off of shore, He didn't know that he had a, a leak in, in his fuel line. He just knew that, that the motor 
sputtered and shut off. And when he checked, he saw that they were out of gas. Thankfully, he had a radio. And he called. And some friends of his were already, bit them out there, were already there about, about 10 nautical miles away. They were already fishing. And he got a hold of the radio. And they came and they threw him a line. And he wrapped that line around the front of his, of his little boat and they started pulling him in. The problem is, it was still kind of early in the morning and, and the problem was, is that a dense fog rolled in. And his little son was with him and they could not see the boat that was towing him. And his son said, Daddy, how do we know they're really there? He said, son, just put your hand on that rope. You feel the tug on that rope? That tug on the rope lets you know they're still there. When the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on earth, because they were scared of being unworthy, they would tie a rope around his waist. And as long as they'd hear the bells on his robe chattering, and if they had any doubt, they could reach down and feel of that rope and see that he was moving around in there. I'm going to tell you, how do I know that the anchor holds within the veil? Because I feel the tug on the rope. Amen. I feel the tug on the rope. In Times like these, we need a Savior. In times like these, we need an anchor. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Sing it with me if you know it. Yes, He's the one. This rock is Jesus. The only one. I'm very sure. I'm very sure. My anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Stand and sing it with me. In times like these, we need a Savior. In times like these, we need an anchor. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, He's the one. This rock is Jesus. The only one. Praise God. I'm very sure, I'm very sure the anchor holds 
and grips the solid rock. Amen. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, sure and steadfast. Amen. Amen.